The way we consume and share news today it is largely rooted in social media outlets, a reason why it's crucial to look at what's being discussed online from the hottest issues to trends for our daily social media minute. We're joined by Erica. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> All right. So I'm sure if you're a local listener, you've come across this story. It was a pretty heinous crime that shocked the nation. A Busan roundhouse kick incident because, well, that's what you see in the video, right? This perpetrator using a roundhouse kick on a random woman to attack her. Now, why are we talking about it today? Erica, it's all you. Yeah, so, um, yeah, the, like you said, the incident sparked a whole lot of controversy. It was actually quite shocking. Yeah. Uh, the incident took place on May 22nd of 2022. Um, I want to talk about what happened that night mm. before we get into why we're talking about yeah. this particular story this morning. Um, so on the evening of May 22nd last year, uh, this uh, perpetrator followed a female victim um, who was returning home after a night out. And she was followed all the way to the elevator of her apartment building. And the man then proceeded to kick her in the back of her head and continued to assault her after she passed out and collapsed on the ground. Now, the victim regained consciousness two days later. Um, you know, she had to undergo 16 weeks of treatment. The incident has left her permanently paralyzed from the ankles down. Um, the most outrageous part about this entire ordeal for the victim is that she didn't find out what state she was found in until after the trial started, which took place two months after the incident. Um, she learned that the man had moved her out of the CCTV's blind spot. Uh, and spent eight unaccounted for minutes somewhere. Mm. And she discovered while sitting in the courtroom that she may have been sexually assaulted. So imagine the extra shock, mm. right? And uh, she was only able to access investigation records and various evidences after she hired her own lawyer and became a plaintiff in a civil lawsuit for damages against her attacker. Now, it wasn't until five months after the incident that she was able to obtain the original CCTV recordings. So she basically was left out of the entire process, you know? Of trying to and discover what had happened to her when she was yeah, unconscious. Exactly. And what is even more difficult to understand, at least for me, is that the perpetrator had submitted a letter of apology, not to her, not to his victim, but to the court during the trial, and he never apologized to her directly. Now, she wanted to see what he had written in that apology letter, but she didn't even have the right to see it. Anyways, the court sentenced him to 12 years in prison, which is eight years less than the prosecution's request. So this is the background of today's story. And it's the details that's enough to upset the public and public outcry and backlash has ensued since the revelation of the story. And yeah. one YouTube content creator took matters into his own hand and said, this is this is outrageous. And he decided yes. to reveal the identity of the perpetrator. So what exactly does this YouTuber disclose? Yeah, so last Friday, this uh, YouTuber who goes by the name 
detective Caracula uh, released a nine minute long video that contains detailed personal information of this 30 something year old perpetrator of the incident, as well as a short interview that he conducted with the victim. So the video included the perpetrator's photo, the name, date of birth, height, blood type, and criminal records. Um, the YouTuber acknowledged that the potential legal, he, he basically acknowledged the potential legal consequences mm. of, uh, you know, factual defamation for revealing the perpetrator's identity without following proper due legal process. And uh, he added in the video that he was uh, worried about potentially triggering a cycle of retaliatory criminal acts against the perpetrators in the yeah. future, which could cross the line into vigilante justice. Hmm. He does have a lot of followers, doesn't he? Yeah. So, uh, he has yeah. around 730,000 subscribers. Hmm. Um, he he emphasized quite strongly that the victim had expressed a strong desire to reveal the identity of the perpetrator, mm. um, and he sort of blamed the the authorities for having overlooked this very crucial detail mm. that it was taking them too much time to reveal the identity of the perpetrator mm. when the victim specifically uh, expressed that she wanted the, the the perpetrator's identity to come out mm. so that uh, future similar incidents can be can be prevented from taking place but i mean now, there are laws and committees in place to review unfortunately i mean it takes a long time i can understand where that point uh, yeah. was and why the victim would be inclined to say such well in her interview, right? That's right. So, so this ongoing court case mm -hmm. has actually impeded the authorities from revealing the identity of the suspect. So maybe in due time, it was a possibility. We're not quite sure. Yeah. Uh, so just in case you're not aware, in South Korea, law enforcement, that is the police and the prosecution is authorized to reveal the identity of those who allegedly committed a heinous crime or sexually assaulted minors. That's right. Um, however, there is no clear regulation disclosed to the public over the timing and procedures of a suspect's identity revolution, a revelation, although, like you said, there is a law that supports it. Um, the latest news reports, however, revealed that uh, this YouTuber had never directly con consulted uh, with the victim on this matter, although in the video, it, it, he makes it sound as if the victim had come to him for help, you know. Ah help me reveal the identity of this perpetrator, okay. not for revenge purposes, but again, to make sure that other people are safe from similar crimes. But again, the YouTuber had never directly consulted with her mm. on this matter or even asked her mm. how she felt about him revealing the identity of the perpetrator in his video. So this YouTube content creator's moral compass, I, I think, is it may be on point. But as yep. far as logistics goes, and did did he properly notify the victim of, mm -hmm. you know, actually taking her story and revealing it to the world? Now, that's an entirely different conversation we might have to have moving forward, right? I mean, he may that's also right. face uh, maybe... Um, 
uh, a fine for revealing the identity of the perpetrator too. Yeah, I think uh, for now, it seems like the YouTuber will have to face the consequences mm. of what he did. YouTube on Saturday mm. has notified him that his content had breached its policy related to personal information protection. All right, we'll leave it there for now. It's certainly not the end of the conversation. If you have any two cents to share, do let us know on our YouTube chat. Let's move on to our second story. Local governments are preparing to welcome summer vacations as COVID enters the endemic phase. That's right. We're finally there. It's, it's the <laughs> first summer since COVID-19 started spreading three years ago. And local governments are getting busy to welcome visitors this summer season, which is right around the corner. Um, we have entered the endemic phase and uh, businesses are really excited also uh, to welcome customers this summer. Mm. Oh, it's it's exciting because, well, yeah. summer season is hot and humid, but at least we can go to the beach and to the mountains. That's right. So I'm going to talk about what some of the local governments are doing mm. in preparation to welcome the visitors this summer. Um, Pohangshi in Gyeongsangbuk-do province uh, will reopen Songdo Beach this year, which was closed all the way back in 2007 because they were losing a lot of white sand. Uh, they have restored the beach, apparently, mm -hmm. and the city plans to apply for approval for the designation of this Songdo Beach to the Ministry of Oceans and Fisheries next month. Um, Incheon, uh, over in Incheon, 11 beaches, mm -hmm. including Wangsan, Urangni, and Hanage beaches, very popular beaches on the West Coast, uh, will start opening on July 1st. Tongpu Beach in mm -hmm. Gangwon province and Daecheon Beach in uh, Chungcheongnam-do province, uh, which, by the way, are two of the most popular beaches on the East Coast and the West Coast, respectively, will also open on July 1st. Now, here's something interesting. Kojeshi in Gyeongsangnam-do province uh, has something quite new, and they're really excited to, you know, reveal it ah. to the public. It's South Korea's first pet beach. First. And that's set to open <laughs> next month. Yes, South Korea's very first pet-friendly beach. So this white sandy beach stretches along an expansive area of 4,200 square meters, and uh, it's open to both dogs and human visitors. Mm. And the beach is complete with uh, showers for pets, parasols, camping grounds, and uh, snack stands. I want to say finally, but one is simply not enough. Do you know how many right. pets we have in South Korea? We I can know, have a exactly. separate conversation on that. Some local governments are coming up with really creative ways to attract visitors too. That's right. Um, over in Bungun County in Chungcheongbuk-do province, um, they're providing cash incentives mm. of up to 300,000 won to travel agencies that uh, bring in more than 30 group tourists. Mm. And uh, they will also pay up to 50,000 won in cash to visitors on a first-come, first-served basis mm. if they carry out the five pool mission, which is watch, eat, sleep, enjoy, buy. <laughs> that's the mission. I've got to say, that's really funny. And it's nice yeah. that go in, in Korean and then in English it works too. Go for oh, it, right? Yeah, okay. Exactly. All right. Because I really want to get to this uh, final story today, I'm going to jump along. And Yerika is dressed sure. up for the occasion. Um, yes. <laughs> one of the biggest summer blockbusters that is being talked up, Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie. Apparently, they use so much pink paint that there was a shortage at one point. Yeah, there was actually a global shortage. And this is according to the movie's production designer, Sarah Greenwood, who, by the way, is a super accomplished designer. 
Uh, she's been nominated for six Academy Awards in her career, including for the Art Direction of Pride and Prejudice and Atonement. And she said creating the, the set for Barbie involved huge amounts of, of this very specific fluorescent pink paint. <laughs> the color is so iconic and synonymous with the Barbie franchise. They had to stay true. I mean, it is partially about nostalgia anyway, but I mean, they used a lot of pink and it seems that Margot yeah. Robbie was pretty mortified about the amount of pink she was exposed to. That's right. You know, Greta Gerwig, love her. Mm. Um, she directed and co-wrote the script. She said the color was all important uh, to the movie. And she said maintaining this hiddenness was uh, paramount. And she wanted the pinks to be very bright and everything to be almost a little bit too much. And uh, this was part of what uh, Gerwig described as um, literally creating the alternate universe of Barbie land. It's like pink threw up everywhere. Yep. It's, I mean, and it seems... Your eyes. I, I looked at the the preview. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. The, the trailer is pretty intense. Yes. So there's another factor that led to a global shortage of pink paint during this time. What was it? I mean, speaking of COVID-19, the sets were being developed during a time when the world was still experiencing the global supply chain issues. And apparently the paint supply was hit particularly hard during this period. Who knew? Because I wasn't painting my house. So I had no idea. But I guess if you're <laughs> making an entire movie of hot pink and Barbie core, right. there you have it. There was just simply <laughs> not enough. Thank you so much, Erica. I hope to watch a movie and talk about it further with you. <laughs> yeah, I hope you have a great Day. All right, see you tomorrow. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.